are here. It's fall. We're back from a wedding, a beautiful wedding. Guys, I'm feeling the fall spirit. Usually I'm not, but this was a gorgeous first day of fall for us. It rained, but not too much mm. just to take the morning humidity out of the air. I mean, I pulled up. The leaves are crunching under my feet. The slight breeze. I'm wearing a sundress, but like I had a sweater on all day right. and I wasn't too hot. I'm in a sweater. Guys, it's nice. This is the best. And like my <laughs> classroom. This is the first time in my teaching career my classroom doesn't have windows. So I had no idea it rained Are today. Are so sad? I am a little sad, but it's also nice because then the kids aren't like itching to get outside in oh. May because it's super sunny. Mm -hmm. And also they don't know if it starts snowing, which is yes. really nice. Yes, that will be nice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> Can't wait for that because they go bananas if it starts snowing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am so ready to get into it. We have another themed episode, but a yes. regular season themed episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are doing a Gone with the Wind episode here yeah. on Herstory. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. <laughs> We're like, okay at it. Yeah. I think that we've gotten, we've gotten into a really good rhythm. Like if you go mm -hmm. back and listen to seasons one through three, you'll be like, these Ooh. girls are crackheads. Yeah. You're like, that's rough. They are <laughs> literally only using Wikipedia. Right. But now we've really, we've got it under control. .edu.org. It's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, but you guys are busy right now. You're raking the leaves that are falling in your yard. Oh. Uh, and don't you love it? You're um, standing under a shower of helicopters from yes. your maple tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but your both hands are on the rake. You're focusing. You're bagging. You got your gloves on. So you can't take your phone out and Google what these women look like. No. So we're going to describe them for you. So you have a picture in your head while we're telling their story. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing the famous actress Hat and radio personality, Hattie McDaniel, who has a wide round face and a very big smile. She has small almond-shaped eyes with high arching eyebrows. Mm -hmm. Hattie typically wore her hair tied back in a tight bun, sometimes with small bangs curled on the top of her forehead. And you can typically see her in pretty much any movie she's in, in some <laughs> sort of makeup outfit yeah but Hattie when she dressed for the ballroom it was to the nines she looked nice. great she wore a lot of flowers lots of big head pieces big jewelry she was just a stunner on the red carpet she wasn't allowed on yep <laughs> <laughs> who are you doing and how beautiful is she she's so beautiful I can't handle looking at her I'm doing Scarlett O'Hara <laughs> So she is described in the book as having pale skin, dark hair, strong eyebrows, and green eyes. And unlike the Harry Potter books, the movie cared about getting the eye color exactly right. <laughs> so they went in and colored Vivian Lee's blue eyes in post-production um, so that it was perfect. And like, I have always thought that she had green eyes because I think they did a really good job. Making it <laughs> good believable. for them. Um, in the movie, it says that Scarlett has an 18 and a half inch waist. Shit. So she is a very petite woman <laughs> and she is obviously very pretty and charming and she knows it. 
the beginning of the movie. She wears big, poofy dresses with hoop skirts underneath and lots of frills. But as time goes on and the war ravages the South, she dresses down uh, in dresses resembling the ones that the slaves are wearing. When she needs to impress in her time of need, she has Mammy make the famous green curtain dress. And when her wealth is restored... Uh, to her, she dazzles us with countless gorgeous gowns, which now that some time has fast passed, feature more bustles in the back than the round hoop skirts because the style had changed dramatically in the years since we saw her as a 16-year-old. Okay. And that's it. That's what she looks like. Yeah, she's a stunner. <laughs> she's like the type of person when they're on the screen, you can't take your eyes off them. You really can't. Her face acting skills... 10 out of 10. Yeah. Like her eyebrows are always doing the exact right thing. Right. She's very good. She's very good. <laughs> oh, she's great. Um, so do you want to, can I, you tell me what I'm drinking? Yes, it's absolutely. Beautiful. So this is called Frankly My Dear and it is two ounces of bourbon, a half an ounce of lavender simple syrup, uh, a fourth of an ounce of amaretto then cocoa bitters, and then you just splash a little bit of lemon juice on the top and top it with club soda. Cheers. Oh, it's mm. delicious. It's nice. It is just right. Mm. And you get that little tiny bit of cocoa on the back. Right at the end. Right at the end. Oh, I didn't even realize it was there. You said it, and then I felt it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Great job. Thank Five star you. cocktail. Yeah. I was really excited because I went to Total Wine today to get yes. the lavender simple syrup. Of course. And then I saw that they had cocoa bitters and I was like, I've been wanting to get some of those for a while because I just think that they are an interesting product that adds that little hint of chocolate to cocktails where you don't necessarily want to put in like a heavy chocolate liqueur. Right. For sure. So I was excited mm. to find them. Okay. Do you want to know what I know about yes. Scarlett O'Hara? I know that she's first a character in a book mm -hmm. called Gone with the Wind. And then she's a character in a movie. She's played by Vivian Lee, who is just a stunner. Mm -hmm. um, I think she like it's a Civil War era movie. I saw the movie once when I was like a preteen. So I don't know a lot of the details. Like it hasn't stuck with me because it's a the thousand year long movie. Um, I know that uh, her family is from the South. They mm -hmm. have slaves. She's kind of a teenager when the movie starts. Mm -hmm. She's getting older. I know Clark Gable doesn't give a damn. <laughs> I know um, that she, her and Clark Gable are trying to be together, I think. And I think Mammy is, like, with her personally. She's kind of haughty she kind of knows that she's great and I, I mean I don't know I'm like at the point where I watched it so long ago that it was like a check on the list mm -hmm. but I know that it's number four in mm -hmm. the American like movies of all time or something yeah. four or six or something like that it's up yeah. high it's up high and also I forgot to write this in the fact check or not fact check but in my story that like it I didn't realize how popular this movie was when it came out. Like when you talk about like seats in butts, tickets sold, I think it's still the best selling movie of all time. Well, isn't it the first, I know that wizard of Oz had come out, but I think it's the first full length technicolor film. Cause wizard of Oz had the black and white on both ends. Right. And they came out the same year. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that until I did this. And it was like, they were competing, like competing yeah. for Oscar mm -hmm. placement. Yeah. yeah. Okay, 
So those are the things that I know, not necessarily about Scarlet, but about going with the wind in yeah. general, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. Well, what, I never actually saw the movie, um, and I just kind of like thought I knew what I knew. And apparently I was very wrong about what I thought this movie was about. <laughs> I knew that it was about the Civil War and, you know, this girl and Clark Gable, but... I was shocked by the actual plot of the movie, so I'm going to go through the entire plot of the movie right now. Because I bet a lot of people have not seen it. Yeah, because again, it is three hours and 42 minutes long. I was going to watch it for research, and I said, absolutely not. No, that's too much. Too much. You have to break it up, just like this podcast, yes. into multiple sittings. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so I want to uh, acknowledge my sources. So I got the basic outline of the plot from actually... Um, IMDB someone did a really nice synopsis of it because I wasn't getting a good synopsis from Wikipedia or even like this YouTube video so I got from that uh I listened to a history chicks episode on women have gone with the wind um there was a gone with the men document gone with the wind documentary on YouTube I obviously used Wikipedia and then for some of the more character breakdown stuff there was a girl uh she has a YouTube channel her name is Anna Psychology on YouTube and she did a great breakdown of like she was like yeah she's like a little bit of a sociopath <laughs> Scarlett just a tad. yeah so anyways um so gone with the wind is a story that follows scarlett o'hara a young woman living in georgia during the civil war Scarlett O'Hara is the oldest living child of Ger Gerald O'Hara and Ellen O'Hara. She was born in 1845 on her family's plantation named Tara, which is in Georgia. She was named Katie Scarlett after her father's mother, but is always called Scarlett, um, except by her father, who refers to her as Katie Scarlett. Scarlett has two younger sisters, Susan Eleanor, a.k.a. Sue Ellen, and Carolyn Irene, a.k.a. Kareen. I need two names. Yeah. <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, so I don't know if this was in the movie um, or in the book, uh, but she also has three little brothers who die in infancy. Mm. Um, and I think that's where we get a lot of this, I think, family kind of info from the, uh, from the book. Okay. Um, but they are buried in the family burying ground at Tara, um, and each of the boys was named Gerald O'Hara Jr., so, Tara is the family plantation where many slaves are kept by the O'Hara family. The slaves are depicted as loving the family, the O'Hara family, and loving their life at Tara, which is obviously a problematic way to depict it. We'll talk a lot about that <laughs> during yes, my I'm story. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when the movie opens, Scarlett is a spoiled 16-year-old Southern Belle who is in love with a man named Ashley Wilkes. So just to be clear, Ashley Wilkes is not Clark Gable. <laughs> Clark Gable is Rhett Butler. Yeah, Rhett. So just to be clear in case you haven't seen him. Rhett's like the Mr. Darcy. Yes, he is. <laughs> so, but the problem is, is that Ashley Wilkes is engaged to another woman, a woman named Melanie Hamilton, who is also his cousin, which apparently is a family tradition here. Don't care for that at all. I hate the South. So at their engagement <laughs> You hear me, guys? Party, I hate you. <laughs> at their engagement party, Scarlett tries to make Ashley jealous by flirting with a bunch of guys and wearing an evening dress to an afternoon barbecue. And it's at this same barbecue where she meets a man named Rhett Butler for the first time, Clark Gable. This guy has a nasty reputation for taking girls out on unchaperoned buggy rides and refusing to marry them. <gasps> 
this. So she's immediately like, I don't want anything to do with him. He's bad news. But I love to talk about him. <laughs> so Scarlett ends up getting very frustrated with Ashley at this barbecue because he's not paying attention to her. He's paying attention to his fiance. And she takes him into a room while the ladies are down for their afternoon nap. <laughs> Apparently they did this at long party. <laughs> Please. And so she takes him into this room and she's like, look, I love you. You should marry me instead of Melanie. <laughs> and he's like, I am not going to do that. Scarlet. <laughs> he goes, number one, you're too immature. And he goes, and you're too fiery. You're too much. And he goes, I need someone like Melanie who matches my calm temperament. He goes, we're like the same kind of person. And it's like, well, yeah, because you're also family. You're cousins. So you're like first Shut up, Ashley. So, <laughs> you're like Roosevelt Roosevelt situation. <laughs> so she gets pissed. Scarlet throws a vase against the wall, not realizing that Rhett Butler was in the room the whole time and hears this conversation and now knows that she has a temper and she's in love with Ashley and trying to ruin his life. And like she's proving everything he said correct yeah. by having a temper tantrum mm -hmm. and like flirting with other men and like yes you're a 16 year old girl it's okay to be immature but like also 16 year old girls shouldn't be getting married anyway no, so absolutely not but everything is disrupted when the beginning of the civil war is announced in the middle of this party so in one last bid to make ashley jealous before all the men get sent off to fight Scarlet marries Melanie's brother, Charles Hamilton. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to be fucking related to you then. Double time. <laughs> okay. Didn't know that about Scarlet. So she does still get married at 16. Don't worry okay. about that. Well, you know, sometimes you have to. Does he go to war and die? Yes, he does. Perfect. Unfortunately, Charles Hamilton dies early in the war and Scarlet is suddenly a widow. Scarlett's mother sends her to Atlanta to. She's a wilf. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stop, <Allie>. so <laughs> Scarlett is upset. Her mother thinks that she's upset about her dead husband, and she's like, "I'm upset because Ashley married Melanie." So she she's like, "All right, you're too upset about your husband, so I'm going to send you to be with his family, aka Melanie, this girl she hates so much." So she's like okay, I'll go, but only because I think I might run into Ashley there. <laughs> She's obsessed with him. Is he cute? Not really. I don't find him attractive at all, but also he's like 1930s blonde oh. in that way that like they like it in, in Technicolor, like it just looks bad. It didn't he work well. Bad. Okay. I don't care for the way he looks. <laughs> I'm um, looking up Ashley <laughs> immediately. Ashley Wilkes. Technicolor um, Ashley. <laughs> in Atlanta, she attends a charity ball in her morning gown, but becomes the talk of the town after she dances with many men, including Rhett Butler. She is not acting the part of the war widow because she actually doesn't give a fuck that her husband died. So a year goes by and Ashley does finally make an appearance back home for Christmas. Scarlett tries again to woo him and get him to now divorce Melanie because they are married <laughs> and be with her. The two share a kiss, but Ashley refuses to leave his wife for Scarlett and asks her, just stop and take care of Melanie for me. Please, will you do that? Can you just leave me alone? Yeah. <laughs> so he leaves to rejoin the Southern forces. 
eight months go by Are now. we all just not going to talk about the fact that they're all fighting for the South? Yeah, it sucks. It I hate really it. sucks. It's like Jasper and Twilight. We all just like accept yep. it. <laughs> We're like, why, why did he fight for the Confederacy? I'm confused. No dice. Why couldn't we make him a Union soldier? I don't know. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> That's uncomfortable, Stephanie Super Meyer. <laughs> so eight months goes by and the South is slowly but surely... Um, being kind of ravaged nearly every family has lost loved ones and food is becoming scarce scarlet is not only working as a nurse to care for wounded soldiers but she is also taking care of the hamilton estate um because a lot of the slaves that they used to rely on are not there anymore and she's taking care of melanie (laughs) yeah really who is pregnant so Melanie is very pregnant. It's not going well. And then when she does finally give birth, it is a long and complicated labor. Um, but her son is born safely. Uh, and I did, Melanie lives. Yeah, Melanie lives. Okay. The son lives. Everybody's fine. Um, but That was a close one. Yeah, very close one. Um, but there is another problem. The Union troops are approaching Atlanta, and they need to get out immediately of the Hamilton estate because, like, it's about to be taken. So Scarlett is like, okay, I have a weak woman, I have a baby, I have me, I have this slave girl that I keep yelling at named Prissy. <laughs> Feels so bad for Prissy. Um, so Scarlett sends for someone who she knows will help them, and that man is Rhett Butler. Rhett comes immediately, steals a horse and cart, and fetches Scarlett, Melanie, her baby, and Prissy, and takes them all takes them through Atlanta as the city burns behind them once outside the city Rhett leaves them to get back home to Tara by themselves so because Rhett's like I can't leave I have things to do the war is here so they literally have to walk back to Tara okay so Rhett's not fighting in the military Rhett I think was like an arms dealer kind of so he's not from my understanding of it I don't think he was, like, in the army. I think he was working with the Southern Army. So he's behind the scenes. He's behind the scenes, and he is, like, moving military weapons around, but he's not technically a soldier. He's the Stark family. Yeah, basically. Um, I, at least I think I'm sure every Gone with the Wind fan is like, actually, uh, again, movies almost four hours. Didn't fucking watch it. Um, <laughs> everybody listening is going <laughs> same. <laughs> so Rhett leaves them to get back to Tara by themselves, but not before professing his love for Scarlet and kissing her. What? Because Rhett has it been this whole time like that girl is crazy and i fucking love her he loves a fiery maiden yes he (laughs) does and so (laughs) he kisses her she slaps him she's like i hate you i love ashley and then he goes all right but uh here's my gun for protection because like this is not an okay situation so the women continue on their journey to Terra alone, traveling mostly by night to avoid enemy federal troops. And she has a gun now. Yes, now she has a gun. Got it. So as they get closer to home, they see that Ashley Wilkes' family plantation has been burned to the ground. And like many other families, their land is destroyed, the home is gone, and his entire family is dead. Did Harriet Tubman burn that farm? I hope she did. Mm -hmm. So they get to Tara, and it's in bad shape as well, but it still stands. Scarlett discovers that her mother has died of typhoid fever, um, but her father, her sisters, and two of their slaves, Mammy and Pork, remain. 
uh, but her father is in bad shape, uh, suffering from dementia. Scarlet is hungry and exhausted, and she goes out to a field that is totally destroyed, and she eats this, like, measly little, like, carrot that she finds in the burnt field, and she immediately throws up because it's, she's, you know, like, you can't eat after you first after you've been like starving for a while oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. also it's like a gross burnt carrot unless you're a dog and you bring him a pumpkin pie exactly <laughs> so resolving not to give up she stands defiantly in the field with her fist raised saying as god is my witness i'll never be hungry again cue intermission that's only half the movie. Damn. <laughs> so she's yelling like Katniss style yelling yes. propaganda at the mm-hmm. film. Got it. Mm-hmm. That's um or like oh she, or like God is dead um from the witch movie, Salem witch trial movie. The Crucible? Yes. Who's John? John. Oh, before Ooh. yes. God Fucking. is dead. What is his name? He's like one of those classic actors. He was in Man of the Iron Mask. He I was- could not you mean Leonardo DiCaprio? No, <laughs> I was just kidding. Isn't he a man in the Iron Mask? Yeah, he's the man in the Iron Mask. Oh, see, okay. Um, but then Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. You mean your dad in Gangs of New York? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Mr. Dave? <laughs> As he lives and breathes? <laughs> Send me home. Okay. So, back from intermission. <laughs> Because, again, this movie was so long and had to have an intermission, just like Sound of Music. Right. Months go by. And Titanic. Let's yeah. be clear. <laughs> uh, we had a movie that long in yes, our, in our era. Did. Good for us. So months go by, and uh, Scarlett and her sisters are have to do have to do a lot of the manual labor themselves. Oh, shit. Something they hadn't done before. Um, and Melanie can't help because she's still weak from childbirth. Uh, and so they're doing all this stuff. It's not good. Scarlet's not doing okay. And then a union soldier comes to the home to ransack it for valuables. Scarlet meets him in the hallway and he threatens her and he moves towards her and she takes out the gun that Rhett gave her and she shoots the man in the face. What? Yeah. She murders a guy in the face with a gun in cold blood. <laughs> like, I she, all right. And then it's like really crazy because this scene is wild to see because like there's blood all over this guy's face. His face is blown to smithereens. And then Melanie comes down all week and she goes, "You did a good thing." And then she's like, "Give me your nightgown. I'm gonna wrap his head in it so I don't drag blood throughout the thing." So Melanie gets naked in the house good. and gives her. Her nightgown. And, like, she's like, oh, God, Melanie, just get naked already. I've seen it all. (laughs) Okay. So she wraps the guy's head, takes him somewhere, and then buries him and doesn't tell anyone. That's it. Wild. Now, listen, I'm not for plundering and ransacking homes Mm -hmm. at all. Specifically, military members who are supposed to be there to serve and protect. However... (laughs) Don't maybe don't shoot a guy in the face. Like I don't like I don't know. Do you protect? Mm-hmm. What's the question? There? Because I'm curious. Because has any other movie, has any other country that got out of a war like 50 years later made a movie glorifying the bad guys? I'm really curious about that because this movie 
oh, really yeah. glorifies yes it does the south makes black people look bad makes the north look bad the north is the ultimate enemy in this movie right which is great like and all, they had to cut out all the, the northern some of the scenes oh yeah all the northern soldiers are seen as like horrible like rapists yeah and then there's a scene because that's the that's the uh intention behind this scene is that like he's going to like rape her right so her defending herself at that point herself whether she's you know in nazi germany or in the southern whatever if somebody's gonna like come and ransack your house and rape the women in the house and you're alone yes defend yourself like full agree but also like this movie is off kilter oh it's very off kilter putting the wrong people like at not that all northern soldiers were gentlemen but no. i just it, it shocks me because i know there were there's a scene in there at some point where she gets attacked by a black man right no the uh they well, pulled that they did okay well yeah i think that they okay we're gonna get into all that in a okay. minute because okay. there is a scene where she like almost gets attacked okay okay or does get attacked okay so she bears the body <laughs> doesn't tell anyone few months later the war is finally over and tara becomes a safe haven for soldiers returning home ashley is eventually freed from a northern prison and when he returns home scarlet wants to greet him like melanie does you know obviously melanie being his wife runs up throws her arms around him she's so happy to see him she's kissing him but mammy holds her back and says you have no right to do that you don't like yes mammy you're absolutely right that's true that's true (laughs) ma'am um and then to scarlet's dismay he's like well i literally don't have a home i just got burned to the ground so he's staying at tara with his wife and child while the south rebuilds so now they're all under one roof and she's a widow and she's a widow and she can't help herself so of course she's like let's run away to mexico ashley (laughs) Like, and he, she she kisses him again it's like i love you sorry i just burped in the middle of that and he is like okay whatever i love you too i'm not leaving my family scarlet like what do you want from me like thank you for birthing my son and taking care of my sick wife but like i'm not gonna leave them like is this what crazy. it feels like to be like the wife of somebody in the nfl like it Probably. has to be like where people are always fawning all over them yeah. and they're just like so annoyed by it. So annoyed. So rejected again. <laughs> so now the South is in reconstruction era and taxes are raised super high because they're trying to literally rebuild everything. Um, so Scarlett is now worried that they will lose Tara because she literally can't afford it. She tra- It's $300, which is a lot in the 1800s, and she tries to get the money from Rhett while he's in jail, even offering to be his mistress for the money because she knows that he likes her. Rhett's mistress? Yes. She is like, I'll be your mistress if you just help me out a little bit. And he says no because he feels like Scarlett's trying to trick him and, you know, she's not doing this because she likes him. She's doing it for his money. And he goes, also, I can't help you anyway because my money is tied up in London and I literally can't. So she gets pissed. She leaves. And on her way home, she notices this man named Frank Kennedy. He is the owner of the local 
hardware store, like lumberyard thing. And his business is obviously flourishing since everyone needs lumber and tools. <laughs> Sensing an opportunity, uh, Scarlet goes to talk to him. And when he admits that, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm excited the business is doing well because I'm saving up money to marry your sister, Sue Ellen. And Scarlet goes, ooh, bad news. Sue Ellen is actually engaged to another man. She's getting married, but I'm wide open. She lied? That was a lie. Sue Ellen was a spinster. <laughs> she was not married yet. And this guy, Frank, just wanted to marry her. And Scarlet gets in the way. And they... Mammy is also looking at her in this scene like, you're a fucking monster. I hate her. I know. And she marries Frank Kennedy. Stop it. I hate her. And Sue Ellen is obviously completely heartbroken. She goes, I, you've already been married. You're a widow. She goes, I've never been married. And there's one guy in town who wants me. And now you fucked it up. Like, you bitch. It's so Vivian Lee, up. you need to go home. Oh, my God. Go back home. So they're married. Frank Kennedy pays off Tara's debts, and the plantation slowly returns to its former glory. But the more Scarlet gets involved with the lumber business, because she does have this natural knack for business, uh, but it's also kind of because she's, let's be clear, she's a Slytherin. And she's very cunning. And she's a cunning, she cunning bitch. <laughs> gets shady with it. She begins to exploit prison labor. Sure. Uh, and then she starts to sell materials to the Yankees to make a bigger profit, which makes a lot of people upset with her. So people in town are not happy. Word spreads that she's fucking over prisoners. She's dealing with the Northerners. Let's be clear. Nobody gives a shit that she's fucking over prisoners. They all are just mad she's dealing with the exactly, North. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So one day while traveling, Scarlet is attacked and nearly raped by two men who are from the nearby shanty town. I don't actually know what race these two men were. So I'll talk about it in my story oh, because okay. there was a lot of protest from the NAACP because yeah. of what happens in the book and they wanted the scene cut. So okay. I'll talk about it when I do but, Ma but, um, Hattie. Okay, perfect. Because I know that this scene definitely stayed in because she is attacked, but one of her former slaves comes and rescues her. Right. And is like portrayed as this hero, you know? So he's a hero <laughs> like Sully Sullenberger. Yes, exactly the same. So she is saved. Uh, she comes home. The men in Scarlet's life, however, are not satisfied. And Frank, Ashley and Rhett conduct a raid on the shantytown where the men were living and they kill them. But unfortunately, Ashley is wounded and Frank is killed during the skirmish. Stop it. Now Scarlet is twice widowed. Okay, let's not do any vigilante justice in the South right after a no. war, you crazy men. Mm -mm. Like, hold off on the, I'm going to slap you for my yeah. dead wife's honor. <laughs> so, so wait, how bad is Ashley wounded? Not bad enough to die. Ashley okay. never dies in this story. I'm just going to spoiler alert. Shame. She never dies. Um, so 
Scarlett's not doing okay. <laughs> she actually is upset now because she's like, what's going on in my life? She's like, I'm now twice widowed. What the fuck is going on? And she's like, and, what, 20 years old? Yeah, and so she is starting to drink heavily <gasps> and she's trying to hide it. But Rhett comes to her and he's like, girl, get your shit together. How about I fucking marry you? She accepts, but only on the condition that he knows that it's only because of his money because she's still in love with Ashley. And he says, okay. They get married. They honeymoon in New Orleans. And here's when, like, you kind of see that, like, they do fit well together, you know? And it's so crazy because, like, they're on their honeymoon in some kind of boat. And, like, he's like, how do you feel? And she's like, I love being rich again. And he goes, great. <laughs> Glad to know that that's what you're taking away from this. Um, they do have a daughter together named Bonnie Blue. But after she is born, Scarlett is distressed because she is like, I've totally lost my figure. She goes, I'm a 20 inch waist now. I used to be 18 and a half. She goes, I'm so fat. She was like, I'll never get pregnant again. So now she tells Rhett, she goes, I am never having sex with you ever again. Because <laughs> I. <laughs> That's what she says? Yeah. There's got to be some contraception during the Civil War. There's got to be something. Something. Maybe not in the South, though, honestly. Like, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the story, but listen, all I'm saying is I understand being like, I'm going to abstain from sex because I don't want to have babies. Babies are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this whole scene is so fucking crazy. Especially, like, there are women that bounce back really easily. Like, mm -hmm. I have some friends who bounce back. They have no stretch marks. They look amazing. I have tons of stretch marks. Now, I bounce back, like, weight-wise from working out, but I mm -hmm. will always have stretch marks. Yeah. Some women don't do that. Dude, my lacrosse coach when I was a kid, she had, she birthed twins and then was, like, out on the lacrosse field like a week later Ew. looking exactly the same. Heidi Klum walked in the Victoria's Secret fashion show six weeks after having a baby. She's crazy. I know. I mean, there had to be some, some like, binder clips involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, underneath Fine. her bra she had a trapper keeper <laughs> under her like underwear binder clipping her like <laughs> loose skin up chip underneath <laughs> as if chip clips are sl more slimming <laughs> so she's like Rhett I'm not having sex with you anymore and he's like I could divorce you at any minute just so you know uh, but he's like but I won't because I love Bonnie so Time passes. Ash Scarlett and Ashley at some point are seen hugging, which makes the whole town gossip about them. But this is only important because Melanie is like, people are saying things around Melanie and Melanie goes, Hey, Scarlett is my best friend. She goes, Scarlett is like the best woman I've ever known in my life. Don't say that about her. She would never. What planet is Melody on? <laughs> Melody is... <laughs> Women are from Mars. Men are from Venus. Oh, that's opposite. Women are from Venus. Men are from Mars. And Melanie is on fucking Pluto. She is on Pluto. She's on Haley's Comet. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> She's coming around every 75 years like a psycho. It's like... And like... 
I think like and I I didn't again. She's trying to steal your man. In this scene, I don't even think Scarlet's around. She is just like blindly defending Scarlet when she's like because it's one thing, it's hard enough defending someone like when they're in the room, but it's easier when they're not in the room. Melanie's a really good fucking Listen, person. We all need a Melanie. <laughs> Melanie watched Scarlett shoot someone in the head and was like, "Good job, baby." <laughs> <laughs> Melanie and then, and then got naked for and her. Stripped. She was like, "Listen, I just had a baby. I'm gonna take my clothes off. We're gonna wrap this guy's head. We're gonna get him outside. Don't worry about it. <laughs> how to cover up a murder? So, <laughs> oh wait, it's how to get away with murder. Melanie defends Scarlett, puts the rumors to bed. Um, Rhett is not happy about any of this. He like makes, he's not happy about the hug. He's not happy that (laughs) Scarlett is still in love with Ashley. The hug heard around the world. (laughs) They've kissed twice. They're always unchaperoned in rooms. (laughs) What? Same. So anyways, so they... (laughs) I haven't been chaperoned in a room for so, so long. Red gets weird. And then he, like, makes Scarlet wear this, like, fancy, crazy, like, deep-cut red dress to, like, a very casual party for Ashley and Melanie. But, like, she loves doing that. That's, like, her thing. Yeah, but not when someone's making her do it. Okay. And he was like, I want you to wear red so people know what fucking Whore you are. <gasps> he re- he scarlet lettered her. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he did. Hester print all over um, this. So he's still drunk, and like at some point, Rhett is wasted, and he's like, "I'll have sex with you whenever I want." And then he carries her upstairs, and she's like kicking and mad. Rhett is like marital raping her. Yeah, and then <laughs> they sleep together, and like the next day she's super happy and hopeful about the marriage so like had they had sex I, yet yeah they have a daughter oh right but they hadn't had sex in a while because she oh, was the, like i have a 20 inch waist right so, <laughs> 20 inches how dare me again i talk about this later but again it's less than a size zero i need so, to measure my waist now i'm curious <laughs> i think i'm like 50 inches right so anyways so i it's never described as rape, but it looks like it starts out as that. But maybe Scarlett ends up having a good time because when you cut to the next morning, she's like, that was so good. My marriage is great. Like, like okay, Scarlett, I don't know what's going maybe on. Maybe she likes it rough. Maybe I don't, she does. I don't understand. So anyways, he goes to, Rhett comes in. He's like, my darling, I'm so sorry for the night before. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I was a little drunk. Um, but he goes, but because of my actions, I agree we should get divorced. And then she's like, what? Now I don't want a divorce. And then he goes, also, I'm going on an extended trip to London and I'm taking Bonnie with me. So Scarlett is furious. She's like, sans I don't want to divorce. Sans baby. Yeah, I don't want to divorce. I don't want you to go to London. She's super pissed, but he leaves anyway. Rhett and Bonnie are in London. Bonnie's like, I miss my mom. So he goes, okay, we'll go back home. And when they return to Atlanta, Scarlett says, I'm pregnant again. How old is Bonnie now? A thousand? She's like six, okay. I want to say. She's cool. old enough to ride a horse. I know that. Oh. So... They're back. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. From the, the rape sex. From whatever the hell that was. Okay. Rhett reacts coldly. Scarlet then ups the ante by saying, I wish the baby wasn't yours. <gasps> Shit. To which Rhett retorts, 
maybe you'll have an accident. <gasps> like going to push her down the stairs? Scarlet takes a big swing to punch Rhett in the face. He dodges it. She spins around, falls down the stairs, and has a miscarriage. So she did have an accident. She did have an accident down the stairs, but Rhett didn't push her. Katie, now I do want to watch this movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I kind of do too. If I have, all right. If I have five See, hours, if to I set have aside. five hours to spare, um, <laughs> and seven things right. of popcorn, I vow if I ever do catch COVID, I will watch this movie. That's my solemn vow to you. Because right. I still haven't done it yet. All right. All right. So. All right. <laughs> I think you're secretly immune. That's what I think. Isn't that fucking Maybe cool? I, Somebody needs to pull your blood. Here's the thing. It's weird that it's both Casey and I. Neither of us have gotten it. Well, you have the same birthday, so That's same true. blood type? S- I don't same know. birthday, same blood, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like knows? Ashley and Melanie. <laughs> Who knows? We're not cousins. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> so after this, Rhett feels pretty bad. Scarlet feels bad, and they finally start talking, and they are on the verge of reconciliation. Yes, when Bonnie is out on her horse, no, and dies <gasps> after the horse bucks her off when she's trying to jump it, even though Scarlet and Rhett are both telling her not to. Horses are so dangerous. Don't put your babies on horses. This is the final nail in the coffin of their fraught marriage. Okay. Bonnie was the only thing keeping them together. Rhett finally leaves Scarlet and he tells her, you'll never stop loving Ashley. And so I'm leaving you for good. I'm going to start a new life in Charleston. And he's packing his suitcase and Scarlet is insisting now that she realizes she loves Rhett. She never truly loved Ashley, but Rhett maintains that any chance of saving their marriage died with Bonnie. (gasps) Shit. And he rightfully says, he goes, I've tolerated your drama long enough. I'm done. But her drama is why he liked her. Boys need to get over that. If you're going to like a fiery (laughs) bitch, then take her to the grave. Exactly. So as he prepares to walk out the door, Scarlett begs him one last time, asking him, what will happen to me if you leave? Completely indifferent, Rhett replies, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, and strides out of the house into the evening fog. And that is the number one movie quote of all time. Dude, I always thought that he was saying it and like, I don't give a damn what people think. I'm going to kiss you anyways. Oh, no. I didn't realize that he was like, I don't give a damn about you. I'm done with you. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a breakup. Yeah, it's not a love quote. I thought it was a love quote. I'm an idiot. No, you're not an idiot. (laughs) Well, because they always put it over top of him, like, dipping her in Mm. that dress. They'll, like, put the quote and then that picture. And it's like, those are opposite things in this movie. Yeah, Yeah, they really are. So Scarlet collapses on the stairs, completely distraught. And then she starts to kind of reminisce about the other great love in her life. She is hearing quotes about people talking about Tara, Tara, Tara. And she comes back from despair and is like, that's it. She goes, that's what I actually need to dedicate my life to, my home. And similar to Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of this like, there's no place like home ending. 
and she gets determined to return to Terra, make a new start. Um, but then she also adds in, and maybe then Rhett will love me, <laughs> which kind of pisses me off. Cause like, why did we have to include him in this? And like, just let her live on her fucking plantation all alone. Like a crazy lady. Yeah. Um, so then she says, after all, tomorrow is another day. And in the final shot, we see Scarlet silhouetted against Tara as the sun sets over the hill, having arrived back at her childhood home and now facing an unknown but new future. A fucking roller coaster, that movie. Ah, that's crazy. <laughs> That's a roller coaster. I, that really, I was unprepared for how Listen, crazy that movie is. No wonder people love it the way they love Dirty Dancing. It has so many like niche things that are inappropriate to talk about. So inappropriate. And again, this movie took a long time to summarize because it is a long ass movie. Three hours, 42 minutes. But I'm not surprised that the movie is so long because the book published in 1936 is a whopping 1,037 pages long. Oh, sorry, Moby Dick. Where you... Oops. Get to the side. <laughs> the audiobook takes 49 hours and two minutes to listen to. On one speed or two? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously one. To put that in perspective, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is the longest Harry Potter book, yeah. is 766 pages. Yeah. And it takes 26 hours and 29 minutes to finish that on Audible. And Jim Dale's slow as fuck. Yeah. That's how long this book was, the source material. So Gone with the Wind was originally a book written by Margaret Mitchell, who is really interesting. We'll definitely have to cover her someday because she was a weird lady. (laughs) Um, It was the only book she wrote, and it ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize. Almost immediately. She was also like super, we'll get into this when we cover her, but like she was super weird about it. Like if people came in, she'd like throw a towel over the typewriter. They'd be like, Margaret, I don't give a fuck. Like, frankly, my dear. Like, (laughs) frankly, my dear, I don't give a fuck. So, and then she would like hide some of the papers in like manila folders and like put them like under her bed and like under the sofa. So, like, when she sent it in, she sent in 70 manila folders, but was missing like 30. She just didn't, did she not want people to know she was a writer or she didn't want people to steal her shit? I don't know. It seemed like she didn't want people to know she was writing the book. Mm. I don't know. So anyways, I can't believe that people ever typed anything before like you could search your hard drive. Mm -hmm. I don't, that's absurd to me. Absolutely crazy. So almost immediately after its release, it is a really popular book. Uh It is the second best-selling book next to the Bible. (laughs) And it comes out in 36, you say? 1936. So this is right after the Depression. And this was an expensive book because it was expensive to print and publish. It's less than 100 years after the Civil War. It was like a $40 book. And back then? I can't remember if that was the inflated price or not. Okay. I mean, either way. Either way, it's expensive. A $40 book is a $40 book. Yeah. It's no textbook for college. No. Um, and after its release, she was paid $50,000 for the movie rights to the book in their day's money, which at that time held the record for the most money spent on book rights. 
Then the movie took three years to make because the producer, David Selznick, was an absolute maniac. (laughs) Now, part of the problem was that he was high on amphetamines the whole time, but he also had this, like, grand vision that he wasn't willing to compromise on. He goes, movies are small. I want to make a big movie. And people were like, okay, David, calm the fuck down. Um, he hired many, many writers for the script. I think a number that I heard was like somewhere between like 11 and 14 writers. Oh, damn. And he still made changes, sometimes moments before filming, which drove the actors crazy. For sure. The film also ended up having three separate directors. The first one, Selznick fired for moving too slow, although there was also a rumor he was fired because he was openly gay. The second director, Victor Fleming, who Selznick kind of forced to do it, uh, even though he was also directing another movie called The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) This poor guy had a nervous breakdown near the end and couldn't finish the movie because he's working on Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz at the same time. That guy deserves an anxiety attack. He deserves all the Zoloft in the world. Right. I can't believe that. (laughs) Two projects at once of like two iconic movies. Like these are big fucking projects. In Technicolor with new technology. Like that's crazy. Both MGM. Yeah. Yeah. MGM. Uh, No, MGM's Wizard of Oz. MGM's Wizard of Oz. uh, Is it Paramount? I think that Gone with the Wind is Paramount. Paramount. So they are also different studios. Yeah. I mean, that's. Which is, I don't know how they did those The whole thing's horrid. Um, So. Uh, the movie was technically finished by another director, um, but he and the first one went uncredited. Mm. Uh, we know their names. Forgot to write them down. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> there was the issue of casting. Clark Gable was the director's first choice, but he announced that they were going to do a big, big search for their Scarlett O'Hara. There, it was kind of a marketing scheme to get to generate interest in the movie right. of like who's going to be this iconic character. This resulted in the director receiving thousands of letters from women around the country claiming to be his Scarlett (laughs) O'Hara. Who wants to play that role? I don't know. She's a nut. So many celebrities were considered, including Lucille Ball and Catherine Hepburn. 1,400 women auditioned for the role of Scarlett and 31 women screen tested for the role, including Tallulah Bankhead, Diana Barrymore, and Lana Turner, among many others. Overall, this publicity stunt the casting process all of that cost a hundred thousand dollars in their money cost a hundred thousand dollars to cast scarlet but ultimately the role obviously went to vivian lee uh fun fact it cost more to cast vivian lee than she was paid for the movie oh my gosh poor viv clark gable made a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars for 71 days of filming and Vivian Lee was paid, are you ready for this? $25,000 for 120 days of filming and being in basically every, every single scene. fucking scene. She's the main character. She's the main character. She made $100,000 less than Clark Gable. That's insane. I hate it. She's in every scene. I don't understand. <laughs> And he looks like the dad in the Adams family with his mustache okay. in that I'm movie. I'm just going to say it. Everybody's like, Clark Gable, so handsome. I don't find him attractive. No, he's not that handsome. I, 
I don't know. All I'd, the men, I mean, I guess true to the period, all the men in that film looked way older than her. That's true, too. I think that's also maybe why I'm, like, feeling a little hostile towards her. <laughs> it's like, you're not supposed to be with this child. No. She's a child. You're an adult man. <sighs> God. Another thing I didn't know is that people were really mad that a British woman was going to be playing this very classically American, uh, classic American character. The movie came out, the book came out like a couple of years before. It came out in 1936. This is classically racist American character. Classically racist American (laughs) character. We love them. can't have a classically racist British person. That just doesn't make sense. No. (laughs) But of course, as soon as people saw Vivian Lee in the role, she stole their hearts. Scarlett O'Hara is obviously a very complicated figure. She is smart and cunning and strong and brave and resilient, but she is also vain, stubborn, and selfish. And a murderer. And a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) And these negative traits cause her to have deeply fucked up relationships. I mean, she was married three times for all the wrong reasons every single time. And it was really hard for me to realize that throughout the movie, she keeps trying to steal Ashley away from Melanie. Melanie, this woman who always defends Scarlett and is always so nice to her and appreciative of her. But there is also something to be said of the positive side of a woman being a little selfish and standing up for herself in a patriarchal society. Her refusal to fall into the traditional role of a Southern belle does get her into some trouble in the beginning when everything is normal, but ultimately, because she has that independent streak, she is able to survive in the face of this serious hardship of the Civil War. Like, she goes through some shit, and if, like, Melanie, not so lucky, Melanie does die at the end of the movie. I didn't know where to put that, but, like, Mm. Melanie dies, and she is kind of a passive character, Scarlet is super fucking strong, and I don't know if she would be as strong if she wasn't, like, a selfish asshole. (laughs) And Margaret Mitchell stated that the theme of the book and the movie is that survival of, like, you can make it through. And that is true of Scarlet. She never gives up, and she does whatever she can to survive. And sometimes it is, like, a noble thing, like, being a nurse and helping Melanie and like, you know, walking home to Tara and like rebuilding her like family's farm in this business. It's like the scene at the end of the Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> but other times it's a terrible thing. Like when she's constantly trying to steal Ashley, when she dupes Frank Kennedy into marrying her instead of her sister. But that's what makes Scarlett such an interesting character and also such a different kind of female character. She is not opposed to doing things that ostracize her socially to get what she wants, which is also interesting because she cares a lot about what people think of her. I think she falls into the category of an anti-hero. You know, I find her to be so similar to Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, yes. You're watching Carrie Bradshaw, and sometimes you're like, you're a fucked up person. You're a bad friend, but you love her. It's like Lorelai Gilmore. Exactly. And... She also isn't afraid to speak her mind. She is always telling people exactly what she thinks, even if it's inappropriate. I mean, she's the bitch of the story, but we still root for her. And this 
attitude can be represented in some of the costume choices for her. In the barbecue scene, she is wearing, as I said earlier, a short-sleeved, low-cut evening gown while all the other ladies are wearing long-sleeved, high-neck gowns because that's what you're supposed to wear to an afternoon event. In fact, when she's getting dressed, Mammy says, you can't show your bosom until 3 o'clock! But Scarlett doesn't care what they think because she wants to flirt with all the guys in order to make Ashley jealous, which again further isolates her from the other women because she's literally going up to like every guy and flirting with him. And then you see the women like, come on, like, and they're grabbing their men by the arm and like taking them away from Scarlett. They're so pissed at her. Right. Because they also know that she's just doing it to make Ashley jealous. She's not even doing it to be with their husband. It's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. (laughs) Um, and this also shows us that she doesn't really care about the consequences of her actions, which is why the costume designer also put her in a lot of green to depict her jealous nature. Mm. I know I often picture her in either like green or red, like these very like fiery colors, even though I she, picture her in green. Always. Yeah, green. Yeah. Like that is her color. And in fact, there is this big green flag in a scene where Rhett visits her after her first husband dies and he gifts her a big green bonnet and she is thrilled to wear it. She's putting it on. She's tying it around. She's wearing it upside down. She's so excited. And he says to her, yeah, I thought it was about time to get you out of that fake mourning. This scene is interesting because he basically tells her you're a piece of shit and I know that you're not actually sad about your husband dying but I still like you anyways, and I know you better than anyone else. It was his way of being like, you don't think that, like, I notice you? Like, I know you better than you know yourself. Like, I know your inner nature, like, this disgusting side of you that no one sees, and I'm fucking here for it. (laughs) I'm obsessed with the fact that you are a big old asshole. Yeah. (laughs) And this also points to, like, her cold nature. You know, like, she is, like, Okay, you got, like she's not pissed that he points this thing out about her, you know? And, you know, when she kills the Yankee, she doesn't think twice about it. She handles everything so calmly because she is cold and she is prideful and she is so vain. And, again, it's weird because she, like, doesn't care what people are saying about her behavior, but she does care if people think that she's doing well. And that she's pretty. So we see... And that she has an 18-inch waist. Yes. Because we see her in the beginning of the movie having Mammy tie her corset so, so tight and measuring it after, like, every pull. And, like, she... After she has Bonnie again, she refuses to sleep with Rhett because she feels like it ruined her figure. And she's pissed. She's saying... She's like, Mammy, you have to get me back to an 18-and-a-half waist. And she goes... Honey, that's not going to happen. You just had a baby. (laughs) And then, of course, there's the famous scene where she's trying to pretend like she's better off than she is, and she has Mammy cut up the curtains so she can make her a dress. Rhett, I think, puts it perfectly when he says in one scene, you're throwing out happiness with both hands and reaching for something that will never make you happy. Mm. She wrecks her life trying to achieve things that are completely unattainable like an 18 inch waist (laughs) for reference zero is 24 inches i looked it up (laughs) calm down 
And the other thing that is unattainable is a life with Ashley, who is married and has a family. And frankly, she probably wouldn't be happy with Ashley. No, she's idealizing the relationship. too spineless. And Rhett knows it. He's like, you would not be married. You wouldn't be happy in that marriage. Like, you would be fucking bored. And you just won't admit it. Because, you know, women like Scarlett often like to be challenged. But sometimes they don't like to realize that they want to be challenged. And so in the end, Scarlett throws away her relationship with Rhett. This man who feels about her the way she feels about Ashley. Because he's not what she pictures in her perfect unattainable life and here i think that we have a parallel to how people feel about the south during after the civil war and still today people who benefited from slavery in the in the south are like scarlet they didn't know how they still don't know how to cope with the loss of their lifestyle so they're always trying to get back to this golden era of antebellum south there's kind of this if only attitude that we see in people from the south and in scarlet if ashley only married me then my life would be perfect if perfect (laughs) yeah that's the right word (laughs) sorry if only the south won the civil war life would be perfect When in reality, both of these potential futures would have been a disaster for both the people involved and everyone surrounding them. Yeah. So even though there's this clear theme of survival, I think that there's also an underlying theme of the problem with romanticizing a problematic past. And maybe that's one of the reasons Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind are important and ultimately why they have stuck around for so long. The character in the book are so clearly problematic that it feels like we have no option but to learn with them if they're going to be around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it not only sends a a, a message about, you know, problematic past, but it also sends a serious message about toxic relationships. Sometimes you have to exit a relationship, even if you love the person, because you've hurt each other too much. By the end of the film, Rhett is so hurt by everything that has transpired that he literally doesn't give a damn anymore. And like a true stubborn Southerner, Scarlett plans to rebuild Tara, this toxic place that should probably be let go of, to hopefully win back a man with whom she has a toxic relationship. (laughs) Which I think, again relates back to this toxic relationship that we have with the South and the Confederacy. I mean, that if, if anything's toxic, that's it. Oh, in our country. In our country, yeah. and especially in the South. And it's gross to me that, like, how long did that Confederate flag even exist for? A couple of years? Yeah, not long. And it's still painted everywhere on bathing suits. It was the flag of the enemy. Flag of the enemy. And we just glorify it because we have a toxic relationship with it. Well, I think it's because the the war is so heavily connected with that beautiful image of mm-hmm. a big white house mm-hmm. and big rolling fields and hoop skirts and nice southern tea parties, you know, like in Georgia. And it's like, yeah, but that was all put together by, like, people who were working for free and, like, yeah. stolen from their families and, mm-hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's that's like, not healthy. It's, it's also, like, 
why would you want to go back to this time period when like half of the people were being like horribly abused? (laughs) And again, and then it's like, and part of toxic relationships is also trying to sugarcoat things and gone with the wind, sugarcoat slavery. And it's like, no, but like the slaves loved the O'Hara family. Mm -hmm. So like they didn't want to leave and like they loved toiling in the fields for free you know it's funny i think we do to like because i know that there are like people on social media who've gotten in trouble for having like antebellum parties where the girls dress up in these huge dresses and like i get it the dresses are fucking cool mm-hmm. but i think we like romanticize it the same way we romanticize like middle ages england mm-hmm. where like everybody was dying and the castles were dark and dingy and you were pooping in buckets and dumping it out your window but we're like oh no princesses dragons mm-hmm. it's so fun yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's not fun no people were dying of the plague yeah it's exactly. terrible so to all the people who still hang the Confederate flag and hope for the South to <laughs> rise again someday. Get over it because none of us give a damn anymore. None of us. And that's how I wanted to end the story of Scarlett O'Hara. Frankly, you assholes. <laughs> I don't give a damn. So that's it. I, didn't perfect. know how to go about it, but I that actually... That was perfect. I learned so much about that movie. I knew about the love story part but and the Civil War, but I didn't know the details. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. great. So, yeah, I just... I thought it was more... There was a lot more involved than I thought. And I also, like, once I started thinking about it, I was like, God, Scarlet is such a good uh, comparison for, like, the South as a whole. Yeah. And, like, how, like... They're kind of fucked up. But and like, she's been on our list. For, for some a... reason, we like them anyways. You know? <laughs> she's been on our list for a fucking long time. Yep. So, so she's done, everybody. We did it. You're welcome. I hope it was everything that you wanted it <laughs> to be. You. It was perfect. <laughs> Let's get another drink and get yes. into some more racism. Please. back back for part two of our less fictionalized version of going with the wind (laughs) (laughs) and other stuff yes other things i can't wait to learn about her because i you just always hear her name but i feel like a lot of people don't know what the actual fuck was going on in her life yeah for sure so do you want to know what you're about to drink yes it looks delightful get ready this is called someone please give a damn (laughs) (laughs) really yeah thought about it all week and i knew that your cocktail name would be something related to that oh, yeah and i was like okay i got you know it's so it. funny because i almost named named mine fiddle dd because <laughs> scarlet says it a million times in the movie Ugh. but i don't think anyone knows that vomit so i was like it has to be something like a more iconic line yeah so for sure <laughs> so someone please give a damn <laughs> is made of gin lots of gin okay and then i put to i wanted it to be a little bit green and earthy uh-huh. so i put in um sour apple liqueur Honey and lime Ooh, juice. Love it. And then arugula submerged in the glass. Love it. Full arugula. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. It tastes like a sour apple martini, honestly. Yes, it does. It tastes like an apple teeny. It's so, it hits you right in your jowls. Uh huh. I didn't, ex- I expected the honey to be more. I put a lot of honey yeah. in there. You know what's so funny is like this tastes to me the, the way I thought that like mm. Amy Tan's cocktail would taste like that puckery but i think it's because 
you actually put pucker in this instead of just like a ton of lemon juice. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that that's more sour. <laughs> yeah. It should not be. They like, I guess they melt down like um, sour patch kids for, mm. for pucker. They must, but I really like that. Okay, good. I like the taste. Um, mm. All right. So what do you know about Hattie McDaniel? I know that she played Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. I know that she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, mm-hmm. and she is the first black person mm-hmm. to win it. And I know that she was not allowed to walk the red carpet. She was put at a table somewhere else and like treated really horribly at the Oscars. But then that's all I know. I think that that's what everybody knows. Yeah. About Hattie. Yeah. And I know that that fucking show Dreamland or whatever the hell it is was like they had Queen Latifah play her, which was great. But I think it was Queen Latifah. And like they kind of like retconned the whole race situation in Hollywood, which I really didn't care for because mm. I thought it was like kind of disrespectful. Yeah. <laughs> like in the like, Hollywood yeah, show. Like, yeah. Everybody knows that it would be great if it was like that, but it wasn't. Yeah. So like it just kind of seemed like wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know? And then for Hattie McDaniel to kind of like, be again, it was character. glorifying old Hollywood, glorifying old Hollywood. And you know, of course everyone wishes that it was different, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So to kind of, you're like, sorry, Hattie, like th- you, this could have happened to you, but it didn't felt <laughs> weird to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's all I know about her. I know she was like in a ton of stuff, but again, probably didn't get paid very much or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, but that's what I know. Yeah. Hattie McDaniel was in 300 total <gasps> films. Three? 300 total films. That's insane. So let's go back. To when Hattie McDaniel was born, it was June 10th, which is my producer's date anniversary, hmm. um, 1893, in Wichita, Kansas. Um, some sources list her birth at 1895, so two years later, so I couldn't really pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. But my sources for all of this were Beyond Tara, The Extraordinary Life of Hattie McDaniel. Um, I watched the biography YouTube video. I read Wikipedia. I read a couple different biographies online. There is a biography about her life, but I only read sections of it and not the whole thing. So she's born in Wichita, June 10th. She was her parents' 13th (gasps) child. 13. She's the youngest of 13, and both of her parents were formerly enslaved Americans. Oh, my God. So... Let's be clear, she pay, she played a slave her entire life, but the people who were watching her play a slave were formerly enslaved people. I think that we love to pretend like it was so long ago. It was so long before any of these movies were made, no. but it's like some of the people who were enslaved were still alive when we were right. doing this. Like, and they were watching it. Yeah. yeah. Her dad, Henry, was a Civil War veteran who suffered greatly from injuries. He was in the 122nd U.S. Colored Troops. And because of his injuries, he had a really hard time doing manual labor after the war. He uh, was later described by one of his sons as a minister, but that may have been a fictionalized account. He could have just been like the soul of the community, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a minister. Her mother was a gospel singer and a domestic worker. In 1901, Hattie and her family picked up from Kansas and moved north to Colorado. She attended the 24th Street Elementary School where she was only one of two black students in her class. Her natural flair for singing in church and at school were obvious early and it gained her popularity among her classmates. They loved that she could sing and be boisterous. (laughs) 
She entered a contest then sponsored by the Women's Christian Temperance Union reciting uh, Convict Joe. I guess it's a play. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she later said that she won first place. I don't know if she outwardly won first place, but she was probably like, I was the best at reciting. But I was black, (laughs) so I didn't win. (laughs) At Denver East High School. So she's in Denver, Colorado. Hattie started professionally singing and dancing and performing skits in shows as part of the Mighty Minstrels. By 1909, she had dropped out of high school in like in order to fully focus on her fledgling career, performing in her older brother's troupe. Because remember, she has 12 older siblings. Right. So like whatever they're doing, she can kind of also do. She she and her sisters then developed an all female minstrel show called McDaniel Sisters Company. And she performed with her sisters for a really long time. That's so cool. Yeah, like a lot of black um, actors, performers back then, she really got her start in the vaudeville circuit. Even though Mm -hmm. it wasn't like official vaudeville, she was on that circuit of performing artists that just kind of like traveled around and showcased their talent. Yeah. Part of the Gum Sisters. Exactly. Just traveled around. Um, with your family members. It's a Jackson 5 situation. <laughs> in 1911, though, she married a pianist named Howard Hickman, but he died like three years later, making her a very, very young widow. Mm. One of her brothers, Otis, also died around this time, and then the all-female singing group lost a lot of money. I guess he was their manager of oh, sorts, yeah. so it kind of like fell apart. For about five years, she did small stuff, bouncing around the country until 1920 when Hattie worked with an orchestra and toured with an official like vaudeville troupe for several years. This was a black touring ensemble called Professor George Morrison's Melody Hounds. By the mid twenties, she was involved or she was invited from this troupe to perform on Denver's radio station and was very popular on the radio. So most people I think, think of Hattie McDaniel as an actress, but before she garnered fame as an actress, she got a lot of fame as a comedian and as a singer on the radio. Hmm. So she was a very popular voice actor for a very long time. And I think a lot of that is like, you couldn't see her. So you didn't necessarily know she was black, Yeah, but she was very funny. Even though like, even in her comedies on the radio, she definitely played like caricatures of black characters. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's a little easier to stomach for white Americans at that point. So like, it was fine if you couldn't see the person. Right. Cause it almost seemed like they literally had like a germ theory about it. As long as I'm not like around black people, then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay. You know? (laughs) So like, Radio was like a safe distance. It was a very safe distance. And even from that, people wanted to hear her more. So the songs that she sang on the Denver radio station, she actually recorded for Paramount Records. Huh. They like had her record a whole bunch of her songs in Chicago. On radio and on the vaudeville circuit, she established herself as a blues artist. And she even wrote her own work. She wasn't just like singing other people's stuff. Mm. But in her mid-20s, she married for the second time a man named George Langford. But he died of a gunshot wound, like, shortly after she married him. Oh, my God. So she is two husbands down and not very old. In 1929, she landed a steady job as a vocalist at a suburban inn in Milwaukee. But, as we all know, 
1929 may have started great in the United States, but it didn't end very well. In October of 1929, the stock market crashed, bringing the Roaring Twenties to a crashing halt. And she could only find work as a washroom attendant in a club in Milwaukee. Mm. And even though they were very reluctant for the first bit to let her perform at all, she eventually was invited to be a performer on stage and then became a regular performer for this club. A year or so later, her brother and sister, who were in their own right actors and had moved to L.A., were like, you should come out here. We keep getting these minor movie roles. Like, just come to L.A. You've been traveling forever anyway. You're not tied down. Both your husbands are dead. You don't have kids. Mm -hmm. Come out to Hollywood. But what she knew is that in Hollywood, black actors got a couple things. You could be in the chorus, like mm-hmm. singing, dancing in the background. You could be like a tribal African. Mm-hmm. You could be a slave mm-hmm. or ex-slave or a domestic worker. Mm-hmm. And those are really your only options. There are no leading roles. There's only two-dimensional characters. There's not a lot. But her brother actually had garnered some fame because he ended up being the butler in the Three Stooges short film. Really? Yeah. Her brother is the background butler. So, like, people in Hollywood are starting to get to know this family. Mm -hmm. And, like, different producers and directors are like, oh, yeah, the McDaniels. Like, we'll we'll have them in the show. Her sister was also getting small roles like this. When she couldn't find work, though, she's out there and she's like, I thought I'd come out here and it'd be like, bam, 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 get a job, get a job, get a job. I've been acting for so long. I'm a good voice actor. I'm a good singer. But she just couldn't find work. So she joined her brother on a radio show and she was a quick hit. She was dubbed Hi-Hat Hattie because apparently the first time she showed up to do this show, she like dressed to the nines, you know, like for the job you want, yes. not the job you have. Hi-Hat Hattie. Um, But on the show, she played a bossy maid who often forgot her place. And this is a trend for Hattie McDaniel. Mm -hmm. She gave her domestic workers more than two dimensions. She would mumble under her breath about the white people she worked for. Mm -hmm. She would show that there was pain and struggle in being a black woman in the United States. And people hadn't heard that yet. Yeah. So she's very cool. Well, and also I feel like she gives off that attitude of like, I know more than you think I'm giving, like, you're giving me credit for. Like, that was what struck me in a lot of the scenes with Scarlett was that the character of Mammy can see everything that's happening. She's a real Dumbledore. Yeah. And she is influencing and, like, trying to pull Scarlett back, try and save her from herself. Whereas, like, I only saw one scene with Prissy, the other slave, and she is depicted as, like, a total idiot. Right. Who like is slow and doesn't know what's going on and mm-hmm. she's fucking everything up and like And Mammy's not like that. Mammy is not like no. that. She is in control, even if other people don't admit that she's in control. And it's interesting because Hattie McDaniel, even when her part wasn't written like that, because mm-hmm. it often wasn't, that's how she played it. Yeah. Which is very important to roles for black Americans in the future. Yeah. Like, she really set a place for people. Yeah. Well, and it probably also influenced how um, people were service written. people in general were written. Yeah. You know, like the Noe Butler. Exactly. You know? They know everything. Mm-hmm. So this show, where she was the bossy maid on the radio, is very popular, but the salary is really low. So she is still working as a maid on the side. 
because pretty much you could be a domestic worker as a black African, a uh, black American at this point. So it's 1931. She finally scores her first role in a small film in a Hollywood musical as the housekeeper in Golden West, which is a pretty famous movie. I was going to say, there's a restaurant here named after it. (laughs) There is. It was really hard to score dignified roles as a black actress. So she was forced to take a lot of odd jobs to make ends meet, especially when she was so inclined that she would turn down roles that she thought were insulting to the black community. So there are roles that she did turn down. Now the NAACP does eventually have problems with her, but there are things she walked away from early on. And I want to make that clear because that's ballsy as fuck before yes, you're famous is. to turn down a job. Then like there are people who are going to be like, I won't like even audition you yeah. for this role. If I think you're going to walk away. She also made a hit playing May, May West in the film I'm No Angel, where she kind of camped it up, like we talked about it, talking under her breath, having a big personality. Um, and then she had a lot of unaccredited roles, singing background choruses. But by 1934, she had gotten enough together in her life that she could join the Screen Actors Guild. <gasps> And she did. Oh, my God. Now, I don't know if she's the she can't be the first black person to join the Screen Actors Guild or this would have been a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. But I know it's expensive and I know they put up roadblocks. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's expensive for our friend currently. Now you have to pay a yearly salary. Yeah. You have to like pick a name. You have to like declare what you want to do with your life. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because my Aunt Linda uh, she is still a member of the Screen Actors Guild, and she hasn't acted since the seventies. Mm-hmm. I think it was or like the eighties. But she still pays. But she still pays because I don't. I forget her reasoning for mm. it. But she's like, I think her reasoning was like, she's like, it's so fucking hard to get in. She's like, I don't want to give it up. Right. Like, which is interesting. It, I she's mean, like it, a hay farmer in Montana. Now. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> she hasn't acted in years. But yeah, our friend had to change his name because mm-hmm. there's already somebody by his name. It's mm-hmm. a whole thing. Okay. So then she landed a major on-screen role in 1934 with Will Rogers. And she sang a duet with him. What? Yes. And this is like a major breakthrough role where she is on stage singing with this man. But then right after that, the next year, she's cast as Mom Beck starring opposite of Shirley Temple. (gasps) Uh, you do. <laughs> so she's starring opposite of Shirley and everybody's like, oh, now she's the real shit. This part with Shirley gained McDaniels the attention in Hollywood where directors are like, okay, now you have a steady stream of offers. Okay. So she plays the part of Queenie. All these are maids. Queenie in the showboat on that television show with Irene Dunn. She's a maid in Alice Adams. She's a maid in China Seas. She's a maid in Murder by Television with Jean Harlow. Um, She plays with Clark Gable, Henry Fonda, Joan Crawford, Tallulah Bankhead, Mm. Betty Davis, Ronald Reagan, Shirley Temple. She's on screen with the most fucking famous stars in history, For her whole life. And because of this, she is well-loved by all of white Hollywood. 
They are like, this woman is great at this job and great at this role. But around this time, she starts getting her first criticism from the black community. I mean, at this point, she's most famous for being a sassy maid opposite Katherine Hepburn in a movie. They felt that she should try harder to rock the Hollywood boat and not play the stereotypical roles. She thought, how will I ever get new roles if I don't prove to people that we are capable? Here's the thing. It's so easy to criticize from the outside. So easy. She's like, I'm fucking in it. I yeah. am doing the work. I am making movements. I'm like, it may not seem to you like I'm making any headway because I keep playing maids. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I am. She is becoming a force. And it's because it's literally like just a few people taking on this whole fucking fucked up system, you know? Yeah. And like, she's well, like, I don't know. I, it's interesting. I understand their criticism, but I also don't think it should be directed towards Hattie. I think it should be directed towards Hollywood in general. Well, and it, it fucking ruins her life. Like, this whole thing ends up ruining her life from her own community. Huh. It, like, really sucks. But I will say, like, it's something that Katie and I have dealt with in the past where we're mm -hmm. like, how much do you post on Hispanic Herstory Month? How much mm -hmm. do we post on Black Herstory Month? How much do we post on Asian Herstory Month? And then it's like, you get kind of overwhelmed and you, like, feel taken apart and, like, I'm posting the wrong things. I'm not supporting the right communities. Mm -hmm. And our sister-in-law, our newest sister-in-law, Olivia, at one point was like, no, you guys are doing the work all year. Like, yeah. you don't have to make any incredible statement mm -hmm. for you to be doing the work. And I was like, yeah. like, let me take a breath. Like, now I understand that things are okay. Yeah. But I, mean, I think she knew that. Patty yeah. knew, and I, I don't even know. Yeah, no, and I, I just wish that she wasn't being criticized so much because she is doing the work from the ground level, and like you know, she's experiencing things. It's like it reminds me of like Althea Gibson, how people are like, "You're not doing exactly the thing that I like." Things aren't changing a hundred percent while you're there, so you must be doing it wrong, right? It's like, it's I'm like, on the first rung of the lot. ladder. Yeah. Like, it's like let a me... lot of pressure to put on people who are at the beginning of their career. Yeah. So then in 1939, she enters into the highlight of her entertainment career as Mammy, the household slave of Scarlett O'Hara slash Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind. The competition to win the part of Mammy was almost as fierce as the competition for Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> Everyone was weighing in. Even Eleanor Roosevelt wrote a letter to them that really? she suggested Elizabeth Elizabeth McDuffie for the part. Everybody in Hollywood is writing letters like this is the person who should be Mammy, like blah blah blah. Yeah, cuz that's the thing. The thing I didn't realize was that the buzz around this movie was insane. A big fucking huge deal. buzz. Huge. And they, the production also took advantage of that buzz. Oh, yeah. Because, like, obviously, as we talked in my story, like, the casting was such a big fucking deal. Oh, yes. So it's interesting that, that it was also the case for Mammy. Right. But Clark Gable suggested that Hattie McDaniel get the role. And Clark Gable was going to be in the movie. So it made the most sense for everybody to go with him and they fought hard for him to be in the movie because he was under a different production company yeah so like they had to like get him on loan so and he wanted mammy he wanted hattie to be mammy 
I didn't realize that yeah. he had fought so hard for her. He really wanted Manny. Wow. So Clark comes out good at the end of the story. Don't oh, worry. good. Good, good, good. She <laughs> went for the audition thinking there's no way I'm going to get this. Everybody in the country wants a specific person to be Mammy, and there's only a few people rooting for me. Yeah. But when she showed up for the audition, she came in a full maid uniform, and she was the only one who did that. And it really, really completed the look. When she was reading her lines, people could visualize her as Mammy. Well, you know what's funny is that's kind of the typical thing now. Like whenever they like do like casting rooms in mm-hmm. movies or whatever, everyone is always dressed the same, like as the character. Right. So it's so interesting that people weren't doing that back then. Have you ever seen who's the actress who plays Alexis on Schitt's Creek? I don't know her name. Oh, but have you ever seen her audition film? No. She's just like in a sloppy bun. Looks like she just got off a plane <laughs> and she like bleeds alexis because it's just like she's showing up like she doesn't give a fuck (laughs) and it looks amazing i I mean i know why she got the part it's i i'll have to show it to you it's so good okay the naacp fought really hard with the film to delete a lot of racial epitaphs first of all they wanted the n-word completely gone Mm -hmm. from the film which it is um but because sorry i'm also going to be interjecting a lot because like i also learned like so many things because like the director or the producer i'm sorry Uh that david selznick guy was like why is like he like was not getting why it was such a big deal to delete the n-word so like as you have so many people fighting against it he's like but i don't get it you know and like so like i want to make it clear that like it was a struggle because oh, like, David Selznick struggle. wasn't a lunatic. <laughs> because then they also just changed it to Darkie, like in the film, which is also like a really negative epitaph like to, to use. Right. Now, it isn't the N-word, like full yeah. agree, but it mm-hmm. is really hard. And then they also really struggled with some historically inaccurate scenes. The NAACP had a lot of problems in particular. There's a scene where Scarlett O'Hara is supposed to be attacked by a black man and the KKK is supposed to save her. Oh, I didn't realize that that was supposed that that was supposed to be the KKK saving her from black men. It's so interesting me telling the story and then hearing it things on the back it's end. It's why we had to do it in this <laughs> yeah. order. And and it was a big problem because they were like they we can we're already pa- painting the south as good guys. We can't yeah. also paint the KKK as saving Scarlett O'Hara. That's fucking insane. What's interesting cuz I know that like people from the KKK were also writing into the David Selznick being like I hope you portray us well because like and I didn't understand why. I didn't uh-huh. know that there was this scene so uh-huh. like Again, on the other end, you have them like fighting to have themselves themselves look good good in the movie. So you still have three white men that come to save her and one injure and one die at the end. Well, they don't. But also like, but the slave former enslaved person like still saves Saves her, her, saves her in the moment. And they go fight back, fight back against the shantytown. Yes. But very crazy so this is all there's a lot of fighting going on but they end up like i said they keep the the terrible like epitaph darky and then they also keep the phrase white trash referring to poor white people Mm -hmm. so these are things that like they really were trying to get out like Mm -hmm. the naacp is trying to get all of this out yeah um but they did change the scene and they did take out the Mm n-word 
The premiere was set for Atlanta, Georgia, December 15th, 1939, and the studio head asked for Hattie to have admittance, but they were advised against it because of Georgia's segregation laws. And Clark Gable told them that he was going to boycott the premiere if Hattie couldn't attend. All of the black actors in the film premiere were barred from attending in Georgia. But Hattie called Clark and said, Clark, I want you to go. And she didn't even, she spared the director his feelings and just called and said, I'm unavailable that day. So that he didn't have to tell her she couldn't come, even though she's like third credit in the film because she's in like the whole film. So she stepped herself out and she told Clark Gable to go. And she was just like, I I'm going to be at the Hollywood premiere, which is only 10 days from now. Like go and premiere in Georgia and then I'll see you on the other side. She's classy as fuck. Shouldn't have to be like Shouldn't that. Shouldn't have to be but like she that. she played so, like, when I, when they go low, you go high. And she went so fucking high. Oh, my God. Really cool. She did earn the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, being the first black person to be nominated and win an Oscar. While speaking to the white press, she said, I love Mammy. And I think I understood her because my own grandmother worked on a plantation, not unlike Tara. But the film, like, it alarmed white and black people around the country for different reasons. One, the biggest complaint being she is way too familiar with her slave owners. Black people were like, you're erasing the ugly truth of slavery. White people, specifically racist white people, were like, Somebody like Scarlett O'Hara would never have listened to their black slave tell them to X, Y, Z. Because Mammy bosses her around a little bit in the film. Yeah. I mean, I literally said that in my story. Yeah. Like, at somewhere, and she's like, that's not okay. That's, don't do that. You, and, and Scarlett listens to her. And there are racist white people who are like, that never would have happened. Yeah. And then there are other white people who started feeling less sympathetic towards slavery because they were like oh i guess it wasn't that bad i guess like they were friends with the family xyz which is really hard to combat when you're putting forth this really famous movie where it looks like black people had it easy as slaves and that the family loved them which just isn't true some people pointed out that the movie character and the book character were very similar but in both relationships between hattie and the much younger vivian lee It would have been very inappropriate, and this is an idyllic view of history. Mm -hmm. Um, We would love to think. I would love to think. That is that, but... And I'm sure in some households it was, but that is not the grand scheme. It's like saying Phyllis Wheatley is the rule, not the error. Yeah. (laughs) That is such a perfect way to put it. And I hate that. Yeah. You know? Like the exception. Right. Because like, yes, did some southern bells like form attachments to their enslaved caretakers <laughs> like probably were some people treated as family like the hemmings yeah. but in the jefferson mansion sure if you are going to make a movie that you are you are claiming defines the civil war then you cannot define the experience of slavery as this cheery love-filled thing no because that's fucked up Right. And I think, you know, maybe and if if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe this teenage girl, this is how she saw her household slave. 
That's the only way I can write it off mm -hmm. is that as a teenage child, I didn't understand the horrors of slavery and Mammy is the closest person to me. Yeah. But there is no excuse for painting off all slavery like that no. ever, ever, ever. No. Okay. Even people who are happy for Hattie felt the role was bittersweet as it further, like, further made prevalent black stereotypes. Like, yeah. it was like, okay, now we have Hattie. Let's make all of our black people like that. Mm -hmm. Um regardless like i said she did win the oscar for gone with the wind um and she looked regal and gave what some say is the best acceptance speech of all time where she said academy of motion picture arts and science fellow members of motion picture industry and honored guests this is one of the happiest moments of my life and i want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of their awards for your kindness. It has made me feel very, very humble and I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And I may say, I thank you and God bless you. That's her whole speech. Which is crazy because she had to sit at a segregated table for two on the far wall with her white agent who happily sat with her. She was also denied entry to the after party. The next black woman to win an Oscar for acting was 50 years later and it was Whoopi Goldberg. Who is an EGOT. <laughs> well and like she was still supporting the first best actress was yeah. Halle Berry in Monsters Ball. Yeah. And Whoopi Goldberg uh, narrated the um, movie I watched about Hattie. Did she really? She did. Yeah, oh. she was the narrator, which is really great. Even more disturbing, the week before the Oscars, all of the black faces in the film were omitted from movie posters advertising to the South. Gone with the Wind won eight Academy Awards that night. And it's currently ranked as number four in the American best films. After Gone with the Wind, she got the role as another maid. But this time it actually confronted race. Her son, who was in law school, the, her black son in the movie, in law school, was wrongly accused of manslaughter. And she had to play a 3D character. Oh, my God. She continued to play maids all through World War II and was even Aunt Tempe. And Tempe's voice in Song of the South for Disney. Mm. During the 1940s, Hattie was the most famous black homeowner who helped organize the black historic West Adams neighborhood, which turned into a court case where she helped save the black homes in Hollywood and Pasadena, California, of black people who bought in white neighborhoods. So she helped them all oh go to court God. and save their homes. During World War II, Hattie helped entertain the troops and promoted the sale of war bonds as part of the Negro Division of the Hollywood Victory Committee. White entertainment for troops was not allowed to perform for the black troops serving overseas. So Hattie had a group that performed, and Betty Davis, the only white person to come with her, performed with Hattie <laughs> all over for these people. Other white people who ended up showing up for a little bit were Lena Horne and Ethel Waters. But soon she found that film offers were drying up because white Americans were tired of her and black Americans were pissed at her. They protested at every show that she was portraying a black stereotype. 
She responded by going back to radio shows and back to television. She was constantly under the microscope. People were mad that she played stereotypical roles in the films and that she promoted stereotypes of women and black men and black children. She also married again for a third time to James Crawford, who was a real estate agent. At one point around 1945, Hattie announced that she was pregnant and began buying baby clothes and setting up a nursery, but it turned out that it was a false pregnancy, and this led her into some deep depression. She never had any children, and her and Crawford divorced shortly after. She did marry for a fourth time in her 40s to Larry Williams, but again, it was only for five months because it was all arguing and fussing, as she said. In 1951, she started filming for a television show, that, and then she unexpectedly suffered a heart attack while filming. She was forced to abandon her career because she went to the doctors for this heart attack and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Later that year, she died at the age of 59 from breast cancer. Thousands of mourners showed up to celebrate her life. In her will, she wrote, I desire a white casket and a white shroud with gardenias in my hair, in my hands, and they shall be white together with white gardenias and a pillow of red roses. And I wish to be buried in the Hollywood cemetery. But when they called the Hollywood cemetery on Santa Monica Boulevard, they refused to allow a black woman to be buried. So she was put in the Rosedale cemetery where she still lies today. They haven't moved her. Well, they wanted to. Okay. In 1999, she was offered a spot. 1999, she was finally offered a spot in, in the Hollywood Cemetery, but her family did not want to move her remains. So the Hollywood Cemetery put up a plaque on the grounds overlooking the lake, according to her wishes. Her Oscar was bequeathed to Historic Black University, Howard. Howard? Howard! Um, But she was in a lot of debt, so instead they just sold the Oscar uh, to pay off her debt. Years later, it did end up at Howard and was displayed in the university drama department. But during the riots in the 60s, it was stolen and never recovered. No. We don't know where her Oscar is. Are you? Okay. Guys. Fucking insane. Bring back the Oscar. I'm sure it's one of you fuckers in Baltimore. So if you have it, bring it back. Bring back the fucking Oscar. We want it. Oh, my God. Someone has that on their fucking bookshelf in (laughs) West Baltimore. And I fucking know it. Some old ass guy has has it from Howard. And he uses God, I hate that. It's a paperweight. It's a paperweight. (laughs) Okay. Overall, Hattie was very saddened throughout her life and her career by the hurt that she was caused by what she called her own people. All the way from when she was Mom Beck next to Shirley Temple to when she was Mammy with Vivian Lee. She was discriminated against by the black media. They were angry that she perpetuated a negative stereotype. She was criticized for playing servants and slaves and seemingly um, content to remain that way. But she fought back and said, I can make $700 a week playing a slave in Hollywood or $7 a week being one. So fuck you pretty much like, yeah, I'm going to make my own money. Yeah. So 
I'm not going to work. What what was she going to do? Clean toilets? Yeah. Being a a bathroom attendant at a club like she was before? Mm -hmm. Like that's you're asking her to be an activist and for what? We all know Rosa Parks died with no money. No money. Mm -hmm. And that was in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. That's insane. Don't ask her to give up her job. No. And again, it's like she's the one doing the legwork. Right. She's the one who is on set on these movies fighting for the betterment of people. You know what I'm saying? Because like, and I'm not, you can't fight for people unless you have some semblance of power right and i'm not so saying it's perfect like, no it's white people perfect. turned her role into shit like yeah the, a of lot course. of caricatures of black women are like based off of her face mm-hmm. so like i get that but it still fucking sucks to like make her the problem it's not her problem it's the white no. people's problem no absolutely yeah it's so shitty <sighs> hattie responded by asserting her that she would take whatever roles that she wanted. And she suggested that she would measure up to her employers in all of these shows. After her death, the groundbreaking actress was posthumously awarded with two stars on the Hollywood walk of fame, one for radio and one for film. Mm -hmm. She was inducted into the black filmmakers hall of fame. She was honored with a U.S. postage stamp. She was played on an off-Broadway show called Hi Hat Hattie. She was honored in um, the American movie classics for Gone with the Wind. Whoopi Goldberg, like I said, narrated her um, documentary, which won a daytime Emmy. In 2020, Netflix miniseries Hollywood, Hattie McDaniel was played by Queen Latifah. There was a biography written about her life called Hattie McDaniel, Black Ambition, White Hollywood by Jill Watts highly suggested in 2018 it was revealed that producer elisa allen had obtained the film rights to the book and is looking to make a biopic but what i think is the most cool thing about all of this is in 2010 when monique won her oscar as best supporting actress for precious she called out her name in her acceptance speech she thanked hattie and said thank you for enduring all that she had to endure so that I don't have to. And that is oh the story God. of Hattie McDaniel. Oh, that's the whole thing. Like when they're talking about like, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. And there's Monique saying like, she was doing enough. She was carrying the weight of the world. I can win this award and be here and do what I'm doing and be on the Parkers. Oh my God. I <laughs> love the Parkers. Monique, calm down. Because of her. Right. I, and precious, I like an almost all black cast. I know that everyone wants the first people to be elevators, but they are ladders. They're not even steps. They're yeah. ladders. <laughs> they are like the precursor to everything. And like to put that much pressure on them, like that's so unfair. Yeah. And she, I love that. She's amazing. I love that Monique put attention towards that of like, she was a part of my journey before I even existed. Right. Like, oh, God, so good. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Wow. Okay. So first off, their origin stories are shockingly similar, even though one person played a person in a movie about the Civil War and the other person was you know, cast character in the civil war. So 
both people, <laughs> fictional Scarlett O'Hara and real Hattie McDaniel, are both affected by the Civil War, which I think is very interesting because, again, it depicts the point that these things are not as far off no. as we want them to be. No, yeah. They aren't as far off, and it's interesting to me to think that somebody like Hattie McDaniel played a slave when both of her parents yeah. were born into slavery. Not grandparents. Parents. Parents. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because they have this kind of shared history of the Civil War, but they are also in slavery, but one is romanticizing it and one is like, no, 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 this is the reality of it. So we normally do like, you know, like we did like Princess Diana and Cinderella and kind of talked about like the realities of being a princess, like, you know, and like the fictionalized version of being a princess. And then we have this person who is playing a slave in and a maid and a domestic servant in all of these movies, but also kind of being treated like that in real life. Right. You know? Yeah. And like, of course you have real relate, like Mammy and Scarlett in the movie have a very close relationship and Mammy did have a very close relationship with a lot of her white coworkers. But like, where does that get you? Mm. Where does that get you in the end? It doesn't like, get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere. No. It gets the person that you're serving a lot of places. And I mean, at some point, I guess a lot of the white actors that Hattie acted with tried to get her this role in Gone with the Wind. And she got yeah, it. And she got it. But yeah. she also got a lot of hate for it from, like, yeah. her own community. And I will never understand what it's like to, like, have a famous person that mm-hmm. speaks for you. I mean, I guess I do. Like, when people be like oh xyz is a feminist and i'm like well that's not exactly what a feminist <laughs> is like let's let's right wind it back so like yeah. i guess people i know the naacp had a, a fight that was they were that guy pushing that rock up that hill that keeps mm-hmm. falling back down like i know their life wasn't easy but i don't think it had to be directed at hattie mcdaniel no but i think hattie mcdaniel's real life of having four separate husbands and Scarlett O'Hara's life of being a constant widow and not finding the right person is shockingly similar. I couldn't believe that part. Yeah. When you got to the second widow at such a young age. Oh, yeah. Because it's also interesting because there's a stereotype in Hollywood that like women get like a Ginger Rogers kind of who has like a thousand husbands and like, you know, keeps getting married and getting divorced because it's so stressful. But like. Scarlett and Hattie literally just kept having their husband pass away, unfortunately. And, and like, I thought that was absolutely crazy that, but it also, it points to this running theme, though, of, like, women's need for independence. Mm. We talked last week in our minisode about a woman who was on the Titanic, Mm -hmm. and she wrote a book about like how to survive as a single woman. Right. Because it was so rare. <laughs> so rare. It was so rare for women to get out in the world and make their own money. And it was seen as unseemly. Right. And I think that Hannah McDaniel is seen as kind of unseemly from a lot of people. Right. Like, but from the way that she is conducting her career. And Scarlett O'Hara. 
she's she a, she's a nut a bitch <laughs> <laughs> she's a nut she's a nut katie <laughs> but you know it's like sometimes though like you have to be that bitch to survive it's a i think it's about being an in charge woman mm-hmm. like I think that Scarlet is existing in this prim, proper, antebellum South Mm -hmm. existence, and she doesn't want to follow the fucking rules. Mm -hmm. And I think that Hattie is kind of dealing with the same situation. She's like, I'm in this America. It's a racist America. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I know what people want me to do, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to fucking do the other thing. Yeah, but it's... You know what's interesting about that, though, is that Hattie is almost doing the opposite thing of what, like, her, you know, race wants her to do. It's right. like, well, we want you to be saying no to all these roles. And she's like, I can't, you know? And with Scarlett, it's like, well, we want you to be getting married and doing all these things and staying quiet. And she's like, all right, I'll get married, but I'm not going to stay quiet, you know? And yeah. You kind of have these separate survival instincts you know, in both of them. And it comes out in very different ways. So Hattie always goes high. Always goes high. Oh, yeah. You know, she's she like, classy I'm going to survive, but I am going to be gracious in my acceptance speech. I am going to have a side job so I can keep tank taking these small bit roles that don't pay me anything and so that I can still be an actress and still be be doing the best that I can do, but in this fucked up system. So she's going high and Scarlett is Goes always low. going low, <laughs> always going low. But isn't and, that? Oh, it's so frustrating. It's you frustrating, know? but isn't that privilege? Yes, it is. It's like, I think about a lot. Like when, um, I remember there's this lesson I used to have to teach in my old curriculum about Jackie Robinson and about mm-hmm. how he would not give in to the taunting and he was just the right guy at the right time. And it's like, no, there are a lot of fucking black guys that would yeah. not have given into the taunting. He was just like a really good fucking athlete. Like, yeah. It's really <laughs> unfair, but, but it is unfair because you do have to go high because mm-hmm. when you have that breakdown specifically as a black woman it's like you're an angry black woman yeah like that's the thing if you're hispanic it's like you're fiery mm-hmm. you know you're a wild woman it's like everybody has a thing and of course with white girls it's like you're bitchy stuck up and spoiled yeah we all have our little things mm-hmm. and scarlet is bitchy stuck up and spoiled yeah well <laughs> it's a nut it's a privilege to be vain yes yes it is <laughs> it just is uh-huh. and you know it really struck me in your uh when you said her acceptance speech because she said I'm so humbled and I thought god damn that is a word that Scarlett O'Hara has never uttered in her entire life <laughs> not once has she been humbled. never humbled no she is so vain so stuck up she's flagrantly flirting yeah. with other people <laughs> flagrantly Katie she is demanding that this man leave his wife <laughs> yeah when he has told her multiple times insane that he doesn't want to be with her insane it's so crazy but i just think that it is a privilege to be like scarlet and still get ahead in life and like did scarlet go through some shit she absolutely did she survived some atrocious things but so did hattie and hattie was still able to be so gracious so humble but i also kind of feel like she had to be because if she were acting like Scarlet, 
There is no second chance for someone like Hattie. No. Scarlett gets a lot of second chances. Oh, yeah. Hattie does not. Hattie's Scarlett like, murdered a man. She <laughs> murdered someone in cold blood. And then stripped Melanie. Uh, <laughs> a, 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 new mother, a new mother was stripped. So, but I feel like with Hattie, she's like, I have to be so careful. I have to be so careful in everything that I do. Mm. And she's, and then she had to kind of compromise. She goes, who am I going to piss off? Am I going to piss off the people that are like me, the NAACP? Or am I going to piss off the white people who then won't hire me? And they're paying me. <laughs> and she has to make that awful decision. Scarlett definitely makes some hard decisions, but... They are ultimately self-serving. Like, oh, yeah. I don't think she actually yeah. feels oh. that bad that she has to like sell lumber to the Yankees, you know, <laughs> like, and that's the difference is like, I do think that it was a hard moral decision for Hattie. And she's like, but I also like, no one is going to get ahead if they don't do what I'm fucking doing. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, yes. that's just a fact of it. She's she, like, I need to play the game. She could because, see ahead. She could see ahead. And this is the thing. Hattie was playing the game. Scarlet threw the game out the window and was like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. <laughs> she was not even rolling the dice and just moving that piece around the board. No. She, she was, was going to the dice and be like, you're going to be a six and a seven. She was playing sorry. I don't even know if they go to <laughs> sevens. I don't off. even know if dice go to sevens. I think they do. Every, no, they, every side of a dice adds up to seven. The two sides. But I thought it was six. No. Because six and one, four and three, oh. five and two. So they don't go to eight. They don't go to eight. No eights for Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Do we have horoscopes? Yes, I do. Okay, perfect. Mine's okay. on my phone too. That's so funny. Yeah, because I forgot about it until we broke for the break. Oh, look at you being um, cute. I forgot I about know. it until just as you showed up and I texted it to myself. Okay, okay. here's the deal. Um, Hattie McDaniel was born June 10th, 1893. And it says... That she would like plenty of variety in her everyday activities, in her friends, and even in her diet. Her interests <laughs> are... I don't know. Her <laughs> interests are many and diverse. Almost anything will attract her attention, if only for a brief time. Truly, this is the sign of a jack-of-all-trades. As the story goes, you may find that unless you develop your power of presence, you might be a master of none interesting a master of so none. she's good at everything okay. but unless she really follows through she's a nothing which i think is exactly Dude. <laughs> i love the idea of hattie mcdaniel being a jack of all trades who's a master of none because yeah. that so describes her life yeah so good at everything she did but not getting the respect of someone who is so good at everything she does. Pretty crazy, right? <laughs> Pretty crazy. Really okay, what okay. is Scarlett's horoscope? <laughs> so, we don't know Scarlett's birthday. Of course. But I did look up. I was like, well, maybe I'll do a combo of Vivian Lee's birthday and Margaret Mitchell's, since that's the author and the girl who played her. Right. Uh, they're both Scorpios. Oh! <laughs> no wonder. No Fucking wonder. Scarlett's insane. What a nightmare. So Scorpios have great mental strength. Good. It says your ruling planets are Mars and Pluto. Ooh. We said Pluto earlier. Sure did. I did. did. You right? did. You said <laughs> Melanie's on Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> 
The former, Mars, represents passion and ambition, and the latter is concerned with power behind the passion. Oh, damn! Scorpios are most honest people. <laughs> Scorpios are the most honest people you will meet. So, Scarlet. <laughs> And will always provide you the honest feedback, and they also expect the same from others. Okay, too honest is what I'm going to say about Scorpio. Too honest. Too honest. Um, and will tackle your, sorry, and will tackle problems and always stand back up with confidence. You overall, okay, sorry, your overall day is going to be good with great time. <laughs> Good with a great time? It doesn't say a great time. It's just good with great time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your colleagues strengthening your bond with them. I can't read anymore. Real estate it's, owners. It's, a, it's late. <laughs> Real estate owners need to be watchful of their business as the stars seem to be confusing at your financial front. Busy, busy okay. business. Here's the thing, though. What's going on with Tara? I love that it mentions <laughs> Real estate confusing financial front <laughs> and i also think that it's interesting that it mentions her honesty but in regards to like other people <laughs> not liking it not exactly herself because i think that she's very honest with other people and not super honest about herself mm. so same and like it says they have the ability to tackle different situations and stand back up in confidence and that is so scarlet. It's what is so it? So scarlet. What does it say about murdering Union soldiers? <laughs> it says, uh, <laughs> "Good with great time." <laughs> <laughs> okay, one so. star. Will not recommend <laughs> Scarlet <But> O'Hara. <laughs> I think that their horoscopes so fit them. Do you know what um, astrological sign Hattie is? She's a Gemini. She's a Gemini, a twin. Yeah. <gasps> you know, what's so interesting. It's like twin. That kind of makes me think of like, there were two sides to Hattie, you uh, know? And like, she is kind of a twin personality of like, she's the person that the white people want her to be and like, not the person that black people want her to be. But she's also like, she's trying to play both sides. Wow. Like a classic Gemini. Wow. Preach. <laughs> wow. I'm just getting it all in today. Here we are. Here we okay. go. Time to toast. Time to toast. Allie, would you like to toast? I just want to toast to people who get shit on for doing the right thing for yes. themselves. Yes. Like, you need to do the right thing for you. Yes. It's not your responsibility to be in charge of your race God. or your gender or your orientation or your religion. No. God. Do what's right for you. You know what? As long as you're not hurting anybody. Interesting part that I didn't even think about. Like, they're both selfish in different kind of ways. Yeah. Which I like. Because, like, we talked about that as a positive trait in the end for Scarlett. Because, like, she had to be a little bit selfish in order to survive. And Hattie had to be a little bit selfish. Yeah. Which I do love. It. What do you have? Toast it up. I am toasting the anti-heroes. Oh, yay. They are so important to see in film and literature, especially female anti-heroes because we always think of tony soprano and we never think of scarlett o'hara or the girl from weeds <laughs> i didn't see that <gasps> you would love weeds, really would Katie? i you right. and casey would love i'll weeds. do it Little um, and i think that we have to admit that we're all a little scarlet and that mallory's don't exist so cheers to the anti-heroes i've never met a mallory in my life <laughs> Okay. All right. Final part. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. 
So me and my friends cannot find days that we all have time for each other. <gasps> Doesn't it suck? And we all text back and forth forever and ever. Like, Is there okay. an app that will fix this? Baby. <gasps> my friend found it and my no. friend Chrissy found it and it's amazing. It's called doodle.com. <gasps> and here's the deal. I'm going to show it to you. She sent I've it. I've heard of doodles. And she left dates and times and all we had to do. Damn, I wanted to show it to you. It's like not popping up. But she left dates and times fridays and saturdays you know 12 to 1 if you're good for brunch this to this and we all went in and you check when you're free which days you're free so you don't have to text back and forth forever and um then you get to here it is so i got to check the days and times i'm free and it tells you are three people free are four people free unbelievable because we had these crazy text chains where we were like, oh, I'm not free that day. Are you I free this day? That. So I have, you know, five, a group of six of us. So I have six five. Is a lot. Yeah, six best friend group. And that means me and five other adult women who are married, most with children, most with pets, most with other jobs or side gigs like a uh-huh. podcast or a book they're writing or a this or a that. And it's like, where do you find the time? Where? And where can we find the time where we all feel included and mm-hmm. nobody feels left out? So. It was always these long text chains that resulted in nothing. Well, and then like you pick a date and then one person has to chime in at the end. Like, like I can't go. I'm sorry. I can't go. But you guys go, go on, on. Have a good time. Fun. Like they're being the hattie. They're like, don't worry about me. So <laughs> I just I have never in my life. We got she sent us all the texts and said, check when you're free. That's so smart. It was the most amazing thing. Now, have we planned anything yet? No. (laughs) You will. Now that we have this app. It's called Doodle? Doodle Doodle.com. Doodle.com. Couldn't believe it. I was like, this is perfect. So anyway, I'm really proud of my friend. Her name's Chrissy. I'm really proud of her for doing this. And she has so many children. Because she's on her side. She's getting married again this coming summer. And she has three kids. And her partner has two kids. (gasps) Four of them are boys. One girl who also went through leukemia. Oh, my God. So, and they have two dogs. So I'm, I don't even, like, she's the one I'm worried about <laughs> in terms of Chrissy? time. Yeah. Chrissy, we're here for you. Wake up. Come around. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> you have a really hard time of it. <laughs> and you teach math. I'm sorry. Or science. I can't no, remember. No. <laughs> Both. Okay. All right. What are you doing with your I life? am going to recommend We Yogurt. We, it's the French yogurt in okay. the grocery store How's it that you've spelled? been like dreaming O-U-I, about. Like O U I, like wee wee. U I. Look how smart it I is am. in little glass jars, and it has the texture of soft serve. I oh, love shit. it so much, and it's so smooth. And they have really, they have a lot of flavors, but I would highly recommend the key lime pie and the mm. maple. Okay, it has transformed my mornings. I love it. <laughs> it's a morning transformation, and also you get little glass jars, which you can either recycle. Or you can reuse. Oh, yeah. I love reusing them. I might make candles with them this fall. I would love to think that I would do that. Who knows if I will. I I might. might. But they're cute little glass jars. You can put Q-tips in them if you want. And we yogurt. I have never seen a yogurt with this kind of texture. Oh, that's good. I like it's that you soft serve texture. It, that's nice. It's like soft serve. That's the well, only way I think that's the problem with Greek yogurt. It. You have to really mix it. You got to really mix it. This, skim it off the top, baby. 
everything is good from the top to the bottom. So it's like a solid Yoplait? Solid. Okay. Solid. And I looked it it up and I was like, is French yogurt like bad for you? And they're like, nope. It's just made in smaller batches and it's made in glass containers. And that's just it. Ugh. That's how nice. different. That's what the difference. Like, oh, like okay. it's the exact same health benefits. So they just really know what they're doing. They just know what they're doing, I and see. like we're gonna put it in glass. I see. Good. We yogurt, and if you're in the mood for something fall, the maple is fantastic. Excellent. I all can't right. wait to have that. That's it. So find us everywhere. We love you. We like you. We're mm-hmm. on all the social medias. If you come to our Patreon, you'll get to hear our little dish that's oh. coming up right after the show, where we're gonna talk about. A black aerial. I figure <gasps> since we're talking about race yes, tonight, we might as well. May as well. Dip our fins in. Oh, all of our <laughs> fins. She's a koi. Koi little fish. I love her. Um, okay. Yeah, join us on Tipsy Tuesdays. You'll see all the recipes posted. We and have pictures of the cocktails. And you can vote on what's what? You can. There was no voting this week because it was just one cocktail. We made it together. But we'll vote next week. So did you get it right? Let us know. And please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be the best, guys. We haven't gotten a rate or review since July. So what are do you guys it again? Doing? You guys are oh, assholes, honestly. Man. I don't even want you to listen anymore. Go yeah, away. Go away. <laughs> uh, but if you do go somewhere, join us on Patreon. Um, <laughs> That's the most fun. <laughs> we love you so much. And never forget that well-behaved women. Frankly, they don't give a damn. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. <laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.